Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. A lot that is going to be talked about today on the Sam Bissell Podcast. I'm going to be getting into the box office results for Fast and Furious 9. I'm also going to be talking about the first Eternals trailer that came out earlier this morning and more. But the first thing that I do want to get into, of course, as I usually do every single Monday, is of course talk about the Star Wars Bad Batch television show that premieres now every single Friday for the foreseeable future. And this weekend, we got episode four of The Bad Batch. And I really like what I've seen so far of the television show. And I think this might be my favorite episode of the show so far. Again, we have at least another 13 or more so episodes to go. And they're only about maybe 20, 25 minutes in total before you get to the the end credit sequence. So there's so much that is compacted into each of these episodes. But I think this episode did a great job of standing alone on its own, but also tying in a few threads that we have seen in the Star Wars universe so far. And of course, the main thread that was kind of connected from another Star Wars show to this one, specifically from live action, is the debut of Fennec Shad from The Mandalorian into The Bad Batch. And of course, Fennec Shad is played by Ming-Na Wen in The Mandalorian and is voiced by the same actress as well. And I, I just love the way that they were able to incorporate this character. And I was really interested to see how they would utilize her during this time frame. Because even in The Mandalorian, we know that she's this skilled bounty hunter. She has this past. She's working with Boba Fett. They teamed up with Mando at the end of season two. But he, I, there was there was something about her where you want to learn more about her past and what she was up to. And I think The Bad Batch does a great job of really kind of showcasing what she was like before the events of The Mandalorian occurred. And that she was this really skilled, trained, feared bounty hunter in the universe and it also kind of set up this mystery of her kind of working with somebody that is trying to capture and track the Bad Batch and specifically the new character in the Batch, Omega. And you wonder who is this is this person that Fennec is working for and maybe does that connect to something that happens in either the Book of Boba Fett or another season of The Mandalorian if she appears in there. So I think it just does a great job of introducing all these new areas to explore with this character. And when you have somebody like Dave Fuller who is one of the creative minds behind this television show, who also is one of the creative minds behind Mandalorian and that universe they're building with Jon Favreau, then I think you're able to see that these characters are in good hands and that these pasts are going to be explored in rich, interesting ways that maybe we haven't seen in Star Wars beforehand. And I think what I'm always also impressed by when it comes to this show is just the level of animation that we're getting from here so far. And I think it really kind of started with those final four episodes of Star Wars The Clone Wars, which it just felt so cinematic. And even though it is animated, it felt like you were watching a movie come to life like it was live action. And, and it has to do with the, the the motion of the characters, just the way they walk, they run, the physical action, the, the way that they talk to other, other characters in the scene. And also the camera work. There, there's a legitimate depth of field that you see in live cinematic productions. But it, it seems like they were able to somehow set up virtual cameras within this virtual space and make it seem like they did it a legit production. It just, it's so incredibly well done. And Lucasfilm has just outdone themselves every single time when it comes to animation on this kind of scale. 
I'm not going to say that they're on the level of a, a Pixar, where Pixar is making their animation look like it's le legit live action, but the way that Lucasfilm is incorporating their animation, it feels like it's not so much live action, whereas it, the, the cinematic quality makes it feel surreal and visceral, and I really, really like what I've seen so that so far. I think you get a lot of action in, in this episode. And even though the episodes can act as their own standalone additions, I think what the, the great thing about the show, that I think might have been a little bit of a detriment to even something like Star Wars Rebels and, and Clone Wars in the animated space, is that there was a long form potential story that they were telling, but each episode felt like their own standalone adventure. And I think sometimes you would get episodes that focused on the main story at hand, and then you would get some side missions here and there. Whereas with this, I feel like when you watch kind of the first four episodes in total, even though each one can seem like its own standalone adventure, it's telling this one cohesive story where we've seen the Bad Batch on the run. They're trying to survive, but they're trying to, but you have the Empire, the early formations of the Empire. You have bounty hunters like Fennec trying to hunt down Omega and the rest of these renegade soldiers. So I just think that there is this big overarching plot that is being told here that we're starting to see kind of develop in, in the next few episodes and in the months to come with this show, we'll really start to kind of see it unfold in the best way possible. But I really like what I've seen so far from The Bad Batch. I really like this episode, probably my favorite so far. Again, only four episodes in, so there's still more time to tell for how good the show can really, really get. But I love the tie-ins to all the different instances of Star Wars that they have including the reintroduction, rather, of Finnick in a, a new place in the Star Wars timeline, continuing to really kind of mine this new space, even though we've been in it between the prequel trilogy and original trilogy, the early days of the Empire formulating, we're slowly seeing how the Empire imposed their will on different planets, when the planets were really just really kind of going along with everything, and they were getting off of one war and didn't realize that, that another war was formulating in the midst with the Galactic Empire and the the, the rebels and the Senate and the Republic. So I just think that was all fascinating and I'm excited to see where else they go from here. But really like so far what I've been seeing for Bad Batch and excited for more episodes to come in the future. What do you guys think about the Star Wars, the Bad Batch shows so far? Do you like it? Is it living up to your expectations? Is it just giving you that Star Wars itch that you were craving since we haven't had anything since The Mandalorian came off the air in December of last year? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. Now I want to move over to the Fast and Furious franchise and specifically the box office. And this past weekend could have really kind of seen some major, major upgrades and steps being taken to seeing a potential recovery or the signs of an upside recovery in the box office and theatrical exhibition for the next few months and hopefully years to come after the COVID-19 pandemic. And this weekend on the state side, domestically, there wasn't a whole lot coming out. We had a lot of mainstays from the past few weeks like Spiral from the Book of Saw or Wrath of Man and of course Mortal Kombat, Godzilla vs. Kong are still out in theaters right now and, and so there wasn't anything stateside to look forward to as, as this was kind of a middle ground to kind of gear up for what we're going to get next or starting this weekend rather with A Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella with the beginning the official beginning of the summer movie season but overseas China and a few and about eight other markets were the first to see the latest edition in the Fast and Furious saga 
F9. And we're the stateside here and, and a lot of other markets around the world are going to be able to see F9 until mid to late June. But for some of the stronger markets that are working right now, like China, Universal decided to kind of make it more of a staggering release schedule for this movie. And it seems like so far it's paying off dividends for them as China has always been a major, major component for the Fast and Furious franchise. Even though it's done well globally and it does well here in the States, it's it really its main, main, main success story where it makes a lot of its of its of its money, a lot of its cheddar, is really in the Chinese box office. It is a huge franchise over there, and really one of the big benefits of it being a billion-dollar franchise right now is because of that market, and it made sense that Universal wanted to cater towards the China market, the Hong Kong, and some of the Middle East, Russia, because those markets are really slow, are really kind of at full strength at this current moment in time. China's market is the number one box office market in the world right now. You United States is number two, and a lot of that has to do with the pandemic and the fact that not a lot of releases and theaters were still closed here in the States and China. They were kind of, by the summer, fall time, China was really starting to get back to some dominance within the box office market itself. And... It makes sense that Universal wanted to put this out there in that space, and it seems, again, it paid off in dividends as it made over $164.9 million in just eight markets alone, and it made a bulk of that money in China, making grossing $135 million, and it is in the record book, record books now being in the pandemic era, the first Hollywood title in two years since Avengers Endgame to debut over more than $100 million at the box office. So again, it just goes to show you that even in the midst of a pandemic, Fast and Furious is still very prominent in this day and age to a lot of consumers and a lot of people that are fans of that franchise. And a lot of the big strength of the Chinese box office has really come from a lot of their domestic releases. It a lot of the international fare or what we consider to be domestic fare, a lot of, the, a lot of those films that are kind of referred to, like they said in the, in the quotes, as Hollywood titles is is what we consider to be domestic titles. And those have not done well in China. It's been a lot of of, of, of domestic films like the, I, th- I believe it's called The Eighth Kingdom. You have the, 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 the Chinatown Detective, The High Mom. A lot of those films have done well in domestically. But now it seems like this film really has hit a button for a lot of fans. And Godzilla vs. Kong was one of the first films to really kind of showcase that, okay, if it's the right film, international markets will come out to see it. And this is just the latest big example of that really happening. It blew Godzilla versus Kong's waters out, out of the realm, but it did come a little bit short from the opening internationally, especially in China from F or from Fate of the Furious, which is around, around like $162, $180 million. So it fell flat of that. But again, we're talking about a COVID-19 pandemic era right now, which it seems like a lot of a lot of countries and a lot of areas are starting to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. But we're still in this thing right now. So to see those kinds of numbers now is a really, really good sign potentially of things to come down the line. And I've always said that F9 for me 
is the next big indicator for where the global box office market is in terms of what, what people's psyche are that. Are they willing to go see these kinds of movies in theaters right now? And I said it last week where because of the positive reviews for A Quiet Place Part Two and Cruella, I think Memorial Day is a lot more crucial now than I thought a month or two ago when the latest F9 trailer came out, when I thought that would be the next crucial step domestically here. But I think it's going to be Cruella and Quiet Place Part Two, and then I believe it's going to be In the Heights and then F9 that are going to be in the next big films to kind of showcase what audience's psyche is at right now. But I think the the big question that's going to come out of this is, of course, is it going to be now, at least for the foreseeable future, and what studio's mindset should be, is should it, it be something where it has to be the right movie at the right time or the right franchise at the right time and, and what films are going to equivocate towards that? Is it going to be positive word of mouth reviews? Is it going to be a franchise that is just solely based on its name like Fast and Furious or the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Conjuring franchise? What is it going to take to when, when you see the name of a title or you hear about a movie, that's going to make you go and see it right now during the pandemic where you would have to wear a mask and you still have vaccines going on right now and some of the restrictions are lessening up right now but still we're still in the midst of this crisis what is going to make people to go out to the movies right now and i think for f9 it this is just another really good indication of where things can go from here now people are coming out and saying well people are blowing this out of the water we still have to see where things are going to go china's already a huge market they're already a, a powerhouse and they, they've always been that way and, and they've been that way for the last like year year a uh, year or so and i agree with them on that but at the same time i think we have to take everything we possibly can right now and every positive step is a step moving forward and this is just the latest one of those and this isn't going to give every indication that the, the United States box office is going to have uh, over a hundred million dollar opening weekend for F9 or a quiet place is going to make 50 million dollars we don't know what the next few weeks are going to bring us or rather the next few days are going to bring us but I think this is just a, a nice step to where we could potentially go from here and in other markets as well in the additional seven besides China the film did very well so I just think that we just need to see, again, everything kind of go by case-by-case basis, and I think for F9, this is another incredible win for them, another incredible win for Vin Diesel and the Fast and Furious franchise. No matter where they go, people will always come and see their movies. I think it's the perfect kind of big summer popcorn blockbuster to go see. It's playing exclusively in theaters at least for 45 days or so before, around 17 days before it could potentially go onto VOD and also play in theaters as well. So there's a lot kind of swarming around F9 right now that I think again globally it's going to be the biggest indicator of where we are in the world, especially here with, with theatrical exhibition of what the pulse is for people right now. Are they going to go see something as big as F9 if a lot of the restrictions are up again in the warmer weather? It's summertime. Is this kind of film going to attract people to go see it? It's clearly working in some markets around the world. Can it work here? We're going to find out in the next few weeks. And you wonder if, and, and, and I think this is also a really good thing to think of as well. Some franchises are bulletproof from, from or, or, or rather not bulletproof, but critic proof as they call it, where 
basically a film can be so bad or it can be reviewed very poorly but still audiences will go out to see the film and may and it'll make a boatload of money continuing to spawn off all films in the franchise transformers had that for a while before it kind of fizzled out you also had the horror franchise as a whole or the horror genre as a whole has always had this where you've had great films that critics and people love and it makes a lot of money but sometimes you'll have films that critics just hate but audiences are are just attracted to horror films good or bad and they'll make a boatload of money and also the the upside to that is is because the production budgets on some of these horror films are so low that even if you make 70 million dollars 100 million dollars a little over 100 it's considered a profit for a lot of companies in that realm that's why blumhouse somehow just does it oh so well even when they get a bad review on a film sometimes they'll just be able to make that money back because of the budget that they put into it but sometimes they use it effectively and a smaller budget could just equal out to a great 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 profit return for someone like a a a blumhouse production which the latest example being before the pandemic kind of shut it down invisible man was on a little bit of a nice run where it was making around 100 to 300 million dollars and it only had about i believe a like a nine a nine million dollar budget so it, it did really really well for itself and i think for fast and furious the interesting thing is going to be where if if the reviews aren't so good for this film where where does it go from here and is is it able to be as critic proof as it is and still make a lot of money even during the pandemic and consider itself a success so i think that those are the really interesting questions that are going to be coming out of this franchise and where it can potentially go from here so what do you guys think about f9 and its box office results do you think it's just the fact that it's the chinese box office china's has really had a big surge back in terms of of gaining profitability and and strengthen their markets or do you think that this could lead to something in june when f9 is available to a lot more markets, including here in the United States by around June 25th. Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And now I want to get to the big trending trailer today. And it seems like this upcoming week is going to be a, a big trending trailer week as we're going to be getting the uh, the first trailer for last night in Soho. We're also going to be getting a, potentially a trailer for one of the brand new Netflix films coming out this season with Gunpowder Milkshake with Karen Gillan. So there's a lot of interesting trailers that could potentially come out in the next few days but i think the biggest one that people are talking about today and potentially for the rest of the week is another marvel or mcu trailer this time for their latest film that is set to come out in november of this year and that is now academy award winner director chloe zhao's eternals it is the latest from the mcu and a lot of people i think have been really looking forward to this film and i think especially Ever since Chloe Zhao won the Academy Award for Best Picture, but also becoming the second woman to ever win Best Director behind Catherine Bigelow, I think a lot of people have been kind of looking forward to the next project that Chloe Zhao is going to do, and that, of course, is Eternals. And there's there's been a lot of buzz around it. it has an incredible A-list cast, including Game of Thrones alum like Richard Madden and Kit Harington, but you also have the top A-lister of A-listers and Angelina Jolie, 
making her MCU debut. You also have Salma Hayek. You have Gemma Chen. You have Brian Tyree Henry. You have Kumail Nanjiani. You just have an incredible, incredible cast that is a part of this film. And it's going to be exciting to see how they all kind of come together, their chemistry, their reaction. There haven't been a lot of plot details regarding this film, not a lot of first looks of what the costumes look like. We've seen some artwork and, and, and kind of first look material from D23, but nothing to really kind of solidify itself as really looking really kind of beautiful to the eye. And this teaser trailer was really kind of our first look into all of that. And that's exactly what it was. A teaser trailer, a little over two minutes, five seconds over two minutes. And it really, I think, did a good job of setting the tone and the difference from everything else that Marvel has done with their projects. All the quotes that we've heard about the fact that Marvel doesn't know what to do with this project, they're in love with it, they love the vision that Chloe Zhao brought to it. If you know Chloe Zhao, she's just somebody who is a really good writer, but also just has a great visual mind, and she loves stuff that's grounded and and gritty and real, and when you're dealing with the MCU, especially now, it's tough to get real and actually bring some reality to this world, especially when you're dealing with something like the Eternals, where it's definitely made up of sci-fi and magic and space, and, and, and how do you make some realism into that? And I think Chloe Zhao did a really good job of doing that. And again, the, the, the way that the visuals look, the, the, the cinematography, the, the camera work, the, the, the colors very much toned down and the colors are crushed a little bit more than very bright and vibrant like we see in a lot of other MCU movies beforehand. So Chloe Zhao is definitely making her mark on this film. She's also somebody that does a lot of practical uh, sets and effects. Obviously, when you see work like she did in Nomadland and The Rider, she's very much wants to shoot on location. I think for the most part, she was able to shoot on whatever location that she was utilizing. The 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 geography looks amazing. The chemistry between all these characters are great as well. You see Kit Harrington for the first time as Black Knight. You also kind of get more of an exploration of Kit, uh, not Kit Harrington, but Richard Madden's character. You also get to see Gemma Chan, who Kevin Feige has revealed is kind of the leading person of this ensemble because you have all these great A-listers. Who's the person that we need to focus on? And Feige has said that it is Gemma Chan's character character who also appeared as a different person in Captain Marvel, but I think you're able to kind of pass it off because Gemma Chan in Captain Marvel was in this blue makeup. You could barely recognize her in the film, and unless you really were able to kind of look at her and recognize it was Gemma Chan, I think you're able to kind of pull her off, pulling double duty into Marvel films and give her more of a substantial role in this movie than what she had in the first Captain Marvel film. So she looked really good. Kumail Nanjiani, we only got like a few seconds of him throughout, but it was really kind of cool to see him. He seems like in, in this kind of Bollywood dance sequence we're going to be getting. We were able to see Brian Tyree Henry. Uh, we also got to saw Barry Keon. We got to see Salma Hayek. Angelina Jolie looks a badass with the sword and the white costume. It's great to see her taking on a role like this. So I just think the ensemble portion of this, the chemistry between the characters, is going to be great. And, and we got the ending, the end tag, where we got this kind of little sit around the table of some of the Eternals. And they actually name-dropped... Iron Man and Captain Captain Rogers again, not Captain America, which I was a little confused by, but she just said Captain Rogers, and they were talking about the Avengers. So this clearly takes place around when the Avengers are are around the MCU, or maybe a little bit after the events of Avengers Endgame, specifically when they talk about the fact that Iron Man and, and Captain Rogers are no longer available, and they're, they're, who's going to lead the Avengers? Which, when you kind of look at the the scope of the MCU in Phase Four so far, especially Falcon and the Winter Soldier, when people are asking questions about 
Where's Captain America? Where's Steve Rogers? Where are the Avengers at? And that was also addressed in Spider-Man Far From Home as well. That seems to be one of the bigger lingering questions after the events of Endgame of, of, of what happened with the Avengers. Who's going to lead them now? And what do they do after everything that happened in Infinity War and Endgame? And I think that question is going to continue to be had in Eternals. And Richard Madden kind of did a little bit of a joke. So it was nice to have those name drops in there, just kind of making sure that this does connect to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so I'm just really excited to see this. And overall, I really liked the trailer. Didn't give it much away. But again, a really good to great teaser trailer does is establish the characters, establish the world, give people a little taste of what they can expect and then be on their merry way and then wait for the next trailer to drop and by probably the end of the summertime when Shang-Chi is set to arrive during Labor Day weekend. So I think this is a, a really great start to the marketing campaign. The one thing that I was a little surprised by and I think this is something that I noticed on social media, a lot more of people talking about it and it caught up to me was I remember when Jason and I were talking about Chloe Zhao winning Best Director in Marvel was probably salivating at the point that they could put that on their marketing campaign that this is from Academy Award winning director Chloe Zhao even though you, you've had some Academy Award winners in your MCU and you've had people that have some kind of awards prestige you never really had a true Academy Award winner behind the script behind the, the lenses behind the, the monitors in the MCU and Chloe Zhao is going to be that first one so I'm a little surprised that they didn't put her name front and center being like, this is from Chloe Zhao. She's a, an Academy Award winner director, but maybe they forgot to do it. Maybe they're going to wait till later in the marketing, or it also just goes to show that maybe even though Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios is very collaborative, they want to make sure that this sticks with the brand and that even though you have a astounding filmmaker and Chloe Zhao behind you on this movie, that it's about the movie. It's about the characters, it's about the, the MCU brand, not people involved behind the scenes so maybe that's exactly what they're thinking with this and that they want to do it more the fact that they want to market it towards the the characters and they want to market it towards the the, the sensibilities of, of what's going on in the movie itself instead of the people behind the screens as well so that was a little surprising and interesting for me, but I think overall, it's gonna be really exciting to see where this goes from here. And this is coming out uh, in November of 2021. So a lot of exciting stuff to, to look forward to. I think this is gonna be something that people are, are gonna be excited about. I think people are already clamoring for it, and we'll see where it goes. Could this be in a potential Academy Award winner or Academy Award nominated film or award season friendly film? We're gonna have to wait till November 5th to find out if that is the case but overall what did you think about the trailer let me know down below and leave your thoughts and the final thing that i want to talk about on the sam basel podcast today really quick is a little something that came out last week and it just kind of kept the train rolling for the knives out ensemble that we are getting and it just kept on rolling late last week and it was announced according to i believe it was the hollywood reporter that exclusively broke it but then all the other outlets reported on it as well was that kate hudson will be joining the stacked ensemble of the sequel to the hit 2019 murder mystery film Knives Out. Ryan Johnson coming back to write and direct. You also have Daniel Craig coming back to play Blanc the detective. But of course, he's added, he's joined by a whole new cast in this movie that now includes Dave Bautista, who's coming off Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which I'll have a review for that up in the next day or so. You're also going to have Edward Norton on this film, Leslie Odom Jr., Catherine Hahn, Janelle Monet, and now you add... 
Kate Hudson to this role. And, and, and Kate Hudson is an interesting pick because, again, she's somebody that, that, that I think is a really is a really good actor. And she's been in some good things here and there, but nothing I think on this kind of big time really level. And to work with somebody as acclaimed and as beloved as Ryan Johnson, to see her work with him is going to be interesting to see what he's able to pull out of her. And again, what kind of character she's going to be playing. It's going to be very, very interesting. So we'll see where it goes. I can definitely see her maybe playing either the Jamie Lee Curtis, very staunch, very stoic kind of character that Jamie Lee Curtis played in the first film, or she could very well kind of be the the over-the-top, funny, 21st century savvy type of mother or adult that is trying to hang with the kids a little bit as well. So I could definitely see her being one of those two characters, or again, maybe she plays that now known role as an Ana de Armas type character where, again, we all know who Kate Hudson is, but the fact that we were surprised that Ana de Armas was the center of Knives Out, maybe she's playing that character in this film. But I was very intrigued by the casting, excited to see who else Ryan Johnson is able to get. And I know it's not just the end ending with Kate Hudson. I think there's more people to come down the line. So who else do you think is going to join the Knives Out to cast? And what else do you think is going to happen with this film? What do you think the story is going to be? And do you like the casting of Kate Hudson? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of of the San Vassell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much as always for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and so much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals, Gear Toward Improving Client Relations, Return on Investment, and Customer Acquisition Costs for Independent Businesses and Services. Also, check out the Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.